Before we start um, chapter 5 of John, I'll say a quick prayer. And God, please use this scripture to open our eyes to something, to speak to us individually, to open our eyes to something maybe we didn't see before, and to understand what you intended through the scripture when it was put into the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. It begins with the healing at the pool. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near Sheepgate a pool which, Aramaic, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So one thing that I underlined when I read this before was that Jesus said, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. We don't always understand that, that sometimes when things that are bad happen to us, it's because of the sin in our life that we haven't addressed. And it's God's way, as you read throughout scripture, God allows certain things to happen to people as a result of their sinful practices. And his, I guess, I mean, what I've seen in scripture before is that he's trying to reach people to get them to wake up. And it's almost like a lot of times you find out when people finally come to Jesus or have faith or start to believe, it's after they've hit rock bottom. And that could be just the way some of us are stubborn people, and we're just going to keep doing it our own way. And eventually, God will get our attention by turning our world upside down. And I've seen that happen throughout the history in the biblical part in Scripture, and then there's also times where bad things do happen to people that haven't done anything to necessarily deserve that, but those are also a testing period that God allows, and God does replenish um, the 
book of Job is a great example of that, where terrible things happened to Job, and he didn't do anything to deserve that. He he was a righteous man, but God was also allowing Satan to test him. So that is another way of looking at it. And I haven't found anything else in Scripture. I know a lot of people you know, say, well, we just don't understand why some of these bad things happen to good people. Um, all that I've found in Scripture as an answer to that has been one of two things. Either it's because of a sinful condition or it's because it's a testing. It's a testing that God is allowing for some reason to grow a person, to change a person. Um, But the thing about a testing is someone could say, well, why could he be so mean and allow something so bad to happen? Well, the thing is most people, after they go through a testing, they're going to make a choice. Well, God wants that choice out of us. He wants a free will choice out of us to see what we choose. And then also, a lot of people, after going through something terrible, do become stronger people. So it does strengthen a person. And then we also have to not forget the bigger picture of things is that this is this is all temporary. The what we're living right now in in bodies that eventually die someday, that's all temporary because there's an eternity ahead. And so we're not living for just this life that we have right now, but we have an eternal future ahead. And the things that maybe we don't have here in this life, you can trust God from the history in the Bible, from who he is, that he is going to restore. And often it's like double what someone had before is what God provides because God is a loving father and he cares about it and went through extreme measures, Jesus dying on the cross, in order to save us, to have us with him in eternity. So he's done so much to for us. And we just have to not be such short-sighted people where we only see the impact of what's happening to us today and think about eternity. It's all going to be okay. In scripture, it tells us there will be no more tears. There will be you know, everything, there's not going to be any more sin in eternity. There's nothing that's going to be hurting us in eternity. It's just going to be pure joy. And we don't know what that's like because that's not the way we live today. But that's what God promises for our future. So when Jesus talked to the man who is um, not able to walk and and then he healed him instantly, by this pool in Jerusalem, then he tells this man, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. That's kind of impactful to me. So next section is about the authority of the sun. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Now on the Sabbath, there in Jewish tradition no one is supposed to work or do anything. In fact, that's what something that God had um, given as a command. So there is um, what I've understood after reading scripture is that um, all of this was uh, symbolic of what God did when, like during creation, and <clears throat> He rested after 
on the Sabbath. And that was um, according to Jesus, which we will get to later in the chapter, is that the Sabbath was all about Jesus. Jesus is providing the rest for mankind so we don't have to continually work to try to achieve eternity. Jesus took care of all of that. The Sabbath is all about Jesus. And it's just that we as human beings don't fully comprehend everything that God has intended in a symbolic sense. But a lot of things that are literal are actually symbolic to teach mankind, humans, something. And that's what God used. So the Sabbath is another thing that is teaching. It's supposed to be a day of rest, a day of rest for people. And there's somewhere in scripture where it says the Sabbath wasn't created for anything but for humans to actually have a day of rest and to honor God and to be thankful for God. So that's what the Sabbath should be. But again, we're back in the time when um, Jesus was trying to explain this to people, and the Jewish culture was so uh, emphatic on the tradition, and their eyes just were not open to Jesus yet. But it was all true what they were supposed to be doing, and they were doing the right thing, but they weren't seeing who Jesus was, and their eyes were still closed. So they were angry with Jesus because he was not following tradition and Jesus was Jewish. So he was a rebel in their eyes. Um, They didn't know who he was. They didn't believe who he was. So getting back to scripture, in the defense, in in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. For this reason, They tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to who he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. 
I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. This is amazing about Jesus and what he shared was everything about, he gave so much information in this. And um, he's, I mean, there's just so much in this, in this, uh, these paragraphs, but he is connected with the father and they act in jointly, um, as you see from what he's explained. And as we saw in chapter three with his conversation with Nicodemus, when he was telling Nicodemus, I'm trying to tell you about earthly things and you can't understand how can I ever tell you about the spiritual things. And yet Jesus is sharing these spiritual things, but no one can comprehend this. No one's met some, no one's met God before. So they've not met the son of God. This was the first time. And of course, anybody who sees someone who's claiming these things would think this person's crazy. This is not, who, who is this person? What are they saying? But yet at the same time, Jesus is providing miracles, like extreme miracles, like this 30, this man who is 38 years in, as an invalid where he wasn't able to walk. And then instantly Jesus tells him, get up and carry your mat. So Jesus is doing these phenomenal things in front of everyone and everyone's seeing these things. And I would have to imagine they were probably pretty amazed by that and curious. And I don't know why they were so resistant when they saw all these things. And if they knew scripture really well, the Old Testament, it did. The Old Testament did talk about Jesus. So I think that's the next uh, paragraphs that come up that talk about that. But um, so he, Jesus tells us that he's doing exactly what the father gives him to do. And he's, that's something else that we've kind of talked about recently with um, a Bible study group of mine is that um, we have to be willing to do the will of God. It's not our will, but it's the will of God, just like Jesus did. He was doing the will of God. And we sometimes have to let go of things that we may want that maybe is not the will of God. And that's always a very hard thing to do, but we have to put our trust in God and just follow through and be obedient and stay in prayer with God so that we understand and also read scripture because scripture often gives you information that helps with the way God leads someone. So Jesus also says something very important about, um, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That's very important. The things that Jesus says are extremely important because they will give life to a person who adheres to that who follows that, who listens to that and believes it, and whose life changes because of what they've learned from what Jesus has shared with others about God, about eternity, and and so forth. The other part is that he, <clears throat> he's also telling them 
that a time is coming when people who are in their graves will hear his voice. So there's that's at the resurrection. So at the end, this is um, from further reading into the Bible, there's a thousand years where Jesus will be reigning here on earth. But then after that thousand years, that's when all the dead will rise. Only some will rise before that thousand years. But after the thousand years, that's when all the dead will rise, both the evil and the good. And that will be the final judgment. But um, Jesus is even explaining that. And even the prophets have talked about this before. If you go back to Ezekiel, he was talking about um, when Ezekiel had his vision, he was like, um, the Lord said, you know, give breath to these bones and make them stand and rise up. And, and he was showing Ezekiel the future resurrection. So back in the Old Testament, in the Jewish books, this is a another um, affirmation of what the prophet said. The prophet saw that Jesus is saying, this is going to happen. There's a time that's coming. This is going to happen. So it's important to hear what Jesus has to say because Jesus is the one who's been face-to-face with the Father. He's the Son of God. He knows God. He was at the beginning of creation, and the things that he has told people are very important for all of us to reflect on, to understand, to know, because it impacts each one of us. Then testimonies about Jesus is the next section, and that I'll conclude chapter 5. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor. And I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it to you that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I'm going to pause right there because he's talking about John the Baptist and about John the Baptist testifying that Jesus is, you know, greater than he and will be coming to baptize in spirit. Those are the things that John the Baptist talked about. And now we see that Jesus is saying, here, I have I have a witness right here. He's testifying to the truth. And Jesus is also saying, not, I think this is kind of funny, not that I accept human testimony. I mean, because human testimony were not, you know, we're sinful beings. And uh, it's kind of funny that he says, you know, not that I do, but I just mention it to you that you may be saved. So he's just telling the the Jewish people, you know, I, I don't typically use a human as a witness, but in this case, I want you to be saved. So I'm, I'm telling you this. And John was a lamp that burned and gave light. And you chose for a time to enjoy his light. That was an interesting statement. Okay, now back to scripture. I have testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. 
you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. That's a really important statement. So all of us could study scripture, but if we don't get the connection that this is all about Jesus and that all this Old Testament, the original books in the Jewish religion are all pointing to a Savior, the Messiah, and Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled what the prophets had talked about. As I, you know, having, it, it's kind of like, it's, it's sad to me because the Jewish people who, who don't look at the New Testament and don't read it, it actually reinforces the Old Testament or the Jewish books that the Christian religion is based on. So in the Old Testament, you have all of the foundation, and then in the New Testament, you have the actual fulfillment of everything that was talked about, not everything yet, but a lot that was talked about in the Old Testament. So it's so important to have both the Old and the New Testament. And then Getting back to scripture, I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe that what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Jesus shared a lot here, and He's first of all, he's able to see into the hearts of the people that he's talking to, not only minds, but the, their motivation. Jesus can see what motivates the individuals he's talking to. We're seeing this over and over throughout Scripture, where he he sees it, it acknowledges that he sees what's going on in somebody, and that still today happens with all of us in our relationship with God. We're not God's not fooled by what we say or our. If we're a fake, you know, we're trying to look like we're a good person, but we're really not inside. God's not fooled by that. We can do all we want to fool other people, but God's not fooled. He knows everything about us. And anyway, this is just showing furthermore that Jesus, was a, you know, did the same thing when he was here on earth. He was able to see things that no one else could see. So he was not able to be deceived because he could see it all. But then he mentions that um, it, people didn't believe, didn't accept him, and he's but he's came in in his father's name in God's name, like he was coming to fulfill things, and people were rejecting him. But then he also says something that was interesting is that, um, but when someone else, but if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. So I don't know if he was referring to this future, uh, what 
commonly gets called the Antichrist now, the person who is who's going to be like claiming to be God and speaking against God and all this stuff. So that's something future that's going to happen in the end days. But um, I wonder if that's what Jesus is referring to here as somebody who's coming in his own name and claiming to be God, you know, and then people are actually going to believe him. I guess we will see if that's what Jesus meant when he said that. And then the other thing in this scripture too, is that he talked about Moses writing about Jesus. Well, that's really interesting. So I was curious. Um, and my study book actually has some scripture references. And then I found another scripture reference just when I was doing my own search before I read this in my study book. But um, here's what, what did Moses write about Jesus, the Messiah? Several of Moses' statements were uniquely fulfilled by Jesus, the Messiah. Moses wrote about one coming from Judah who would rule the nations. That's in Genesis 49, verse 10. He predicted a coming prophet as influential as himself who would speak God's words, Deuteronomy 18.18. He also recorded the law, which contains symbolism that describes God's final sacrifice for sin. Jesus, the Lamb of God, John one twenty nine, And then I wrote down Leviticus 1. If you go to Leviticus 1, because that's where all the laws of Moses were written, or all of the laws for the Jewish culture were written, in the very first chapter that I was reading of Leviticus, it was all the symbolism of Jesus as the sacrifice. So, that was something else that I found. And when you when you read that, you think about what Jesus did and how Jesus fulfilled that. But all along, the people were being trained to do a certain thing so that it was symbolic. It was literal, but it was symbolic. It was symbolic of Jesus. And that's kind of fascinating about how God works and how God was trying to reach people and teach people. And yet the symbolism there's so much symbolism and literal fulfillment within the Bible. They're often a dual purpose, which is very interesting. And at sometimes all of a sudden our eyes will be opened and, and we will make the connection. Wow, this is really symbolic of this, you know, and we'll know another literal fulfillment of it. But that's what scripture does is all of a sudden as you read it, you start to see things that maybe you didn't see before. So I hope you enjoyed this. And if you do and you benefit from this, please share this with others. Thank you.